rearranging our ordinary everyday lives to put the words and the ways of Jesus into practice for the sake of the world. And uh, that's what we've been asking. That's the question that we've been asking. It's the it's what we've been trying to wrestle with from September even in the build up to Christmas. Even as we've built up to Christmas, for me it feels like this question continues, this thought continues to carry such significance. How do we do this? What are the ways as we read the word, as we engage with 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 stories throughout history, how do we rearrange our lives? our ordinary everyday lives to put the words and the ways of Jesus into practice for the sake of the world. And we went, um, we, we grounded some of this in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. It, it, be, it became the platform for us to begin to, to, to open up this conversation further and wider and just inspired by the story of Peter and John who as they went about their business, as they went about their ordinary everyday lives, as people watched, as people looked on and, and, and watched how they lived, watched how they treated people, watched how they loved and how they served, it became clear that even though they were unschooled, even though they were uneducated, even though they weren't part of the elite, even though they weren't who would have been expected to be the ones that were, um, that were doing all of these incredible things, it was clear that they'd been with Jesus. These ordinary, uneducated men it was clear that they'd been with Jesus. And so part of me, is, as, as we looked at this back in September, I, and I don't know whether this is, the, I'm almost, have to guard my motivations in this, but I'm, I want, I want people that I rub shoulders with in the community. I want people that I rub shoulders with in my family. And even as, as we gather with family around, for, for many of us, as we gather around family and friends over Christmas, I want it said of me that it's clear that he's been with Jesus. He's incredibly ordinary, and he's definitely uneducated, but he's been with Jesus. I want that to be the testimony of, of my life. I'm desperate for that, and it's why we've, it's why we've just um, continued to loosely base some weeks maybe more intentional than others, but we really loosely based it around this idea of of, of ordinary people, because I, I, I really believe that transformation or renewal of families, communities, and nations is going to be carried out in real life. It's going to be carried out in the real 20, 9 to 5, ordinary daily life where we live with God and where we live with neighbors. That's where transformation is going to come. That's where renewal is going to come. And so right back at the beginning, we, we spoke about how we, we truly believe that he's present everywhere. But as, as those of us that are salt of the earth, light of the world, holy people, uh, a holy priesthood, holy people, a royal priesthood, people set apart to call people out of darkness into his wonderful light. It's us that are, that are called to enter into this relationship with him, to participate with him, to see, uh, to see his kingdom come, but to make him visible. He is present everywhere, but there's a call on us to make him visible. And we talked about how we make him visible. We spoke about, about how we be with the least of these. When we, uh, when we gather with the least of these, it's him. We make the presence of Jesus tangible. We make it real. We make it the presence of Jesus real when we reconcile. When two or three, are, we looked at Matthew 18, when two or three are gathered, I, I'm there. 
when you get together to restore, when you get together to make things right, Jesus can't help but be there in the midst of that. And so if you want to make him visible, it's, it's, it's being with the least of these. It's reconciling. We spent a couple of weeks around the Lord's table and, and, we, and we pushed, uh, we looked at the formal Lord's table, but we wanted to even look at the, pra- the table practice of Jesus and say how, how through the table, through the table, Christ's presence is extended into the neighborhood. And, um, and we spent a few weeks there. And then Neville took us through the story of Elijah uh, and spoke about, ultimately started us that Elijah was a man just like us. Nothing particularly unique, nothing particularly set apart. He was a man just, just like us. And did it extraordinary, did extraordinary things. And over the last couple of weeks, we've we've spoken about the the idea in our ordinary everyday lives. All of us, I think, are are prone to imagination, and often we've 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 thought of that in the in the world of fantasy, in the world of make believe. But actually, imagination is a gift. I feel as to me the challenge for us even, uh, the challenge for me and the challenge for the church is that our imagination would be awakened. We begin to see with our mind's eye. We begin to see what what it could look like when the kingdom breaks in and to pursue that like those in Hebrews 11 did. We spoke last week, of, this has already been alluded to, about um, kingdom prayer. I was just I was praying last night, I was just thinking about sort of a, a general overview of where we've been and uh, and just before I step into what we want to talk about um, this morning I felt last night that the Lord's reminded me of a of a of a, of a few verses in Luke chapter 5 almost on and off for the last couple of months and uh, I was just reminded of again of it again last night I suppose I alluded to alluded to it a wee bit last Sunday morning we talked about all the things that it's important that we and David's told us the announcements, and it's important that we are that we are we show up when we, the call to prayer. It's important that we that we that we show up whenever we're trying to engage the community. Important that we important all the things that we do. It's important that you're here on a Sunday morning. All the things that we do are really important. The gifts that you've been given are really important. But the question that has continued to be in the back of my mind for the last few weeks is, who am I becoming? And as I continue to, to hold that question, I, I am just feel like I'm continually aware of the deep work that needs to be the deep work Father is longing to do. And I've never felt I've never felt as the Father has been as I've been in the quiet time, I've never felt that it's been a rebuke. Never felt that it's been a, a, a word of condemnation. In fact, there's part of me feels really encouraged. Part of me feels really encouraged that that actually he's, he's almost reminded me oh, some of the stuff that you've been involved in, some of the stuff that's going on. It's it's good. It feels like it's almost been on the surface. And just like Jesus said to the to Peter in Luke chapter five, Peter, it's time to put it out into the. Peter, you've you've caught some fish. You've you've like you've a, you've a reputation as being a decent fisherman. It's what you've done. It's what your it's what your father has done before you. This is all you've known. This is what you've done really good. This is what you've done really well. And, and now he's saying, but Peter, it's time to put it out, to put out into the deep. It's time to go out into the deep. And, I, and so I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm just continuing to carry that word and I want to invite you just to engage with that. Even as we, as we come up um, 
come up to Christmas, that you would continue to, to, to ask those questions, who are we becoming? And I've just been asking, like, am, I, am, I, am I becoming more kind? Am I becoming more gentle? Am I becoming more patient? Am I becoming more forgiving? Am I becoming more hospitable? Am I becoming more generous? Am I becoming more compassionate? And all of those things, I feel like in some ways, yes. In some ways, yes, but it feels like the invitation is, need us time to, to go out a little deeper. As I think about how we, when we gather to worship, it's wonderful to, to come and, and to worship. But I think that's even what, I think that's even what the Father just was stirring in me, just to be, just come on, let's just pray for the sick, let's just be bold, let's just be courageous. Let's just see if there's a moment where the kingdom can break in right now. And I think that's part of it. I think that's part of it. Because even in our worship gatherings, as wonderful as the songs could be, at times it can feel like it just remains on the surface, but it feels like, it feels like even in our worship times, it's like it's time, to, it's time to go a little deeper. It's time to dig in a little deeper here. As, we, as I consider our, our times of prayer, like we've been faithful in, in meeting together every Monday morning, seven o'clock to pray. In this season, with, with every other Wednesday night, we've been faithful to, to, to show up and pray in the living room uh, every other Wednesday night. And that's been good. And the challenge to me, and I can't say it's for you because I don't know what's going on with it, within you in the, in the prayer meeting. But for me, the, the challenge and the invitation, I think it's really important. It's, it feels like it's an invitation. You're like, your prayer meetings, that's good, but it's almost like it's been on the surface. You're praying for these needs, and that's good, and, I, and I've heard. But it's almost like the invitation is that it's time to go a little deeper. It's time to dig in. It's time to dig in and go a little deeper. And as I think of our discipleship, as I think of our, about our relationships with one another, those are hugely significant, hugely important. But at times, for many of us to take place on, on the, uh, over, over coffee for 10 minutes on a Sunday morning, and those are good, and, and for some of us, that's really easy to, just to, to pick up maybe where you left off the following Sunday. But at times, it maybe feels like it's on the surface, and, 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 and I think the invitation is, it's time to go a little deeper. Time to go beyond the surface. It's time to dig in and go a little deeper. And I think there's something about our, our discipleship, our ability to disciple well will come alive whenever we go beyond the surface. Guys, it's time. I feel like the words of Jesus going over and over in mind. I feel like it's almost, my imagination can be so poor, but I feel like I, I'm, I can almost imagine that moment. Peter, it's time to go a little deeper. Church, I feel like it's time to go a little deeper. And as David shared those, shared those, uh, those verses from Psalm 139, I felt like, oh, I, I, not that I wasn't listening, but once he said, point out everything in me, I, I, I don't know what else he said after that. Sorry, David. But I point everything in me and I just fight for a moment, God, do that. Because I want this to be, I want this experience with you to be full. I want it to, I want it to go to the place that you want it to go to and so point out anything in me. And as I've been asking that question in different format, in different ways over the last wee while, I felt like it keeps coming back and, and again, maybe touched on it last Sunday. Neil, what is your, what is your prayer life costing you? What is your prayer life costing you? And I, and I know for many of us, for many of us, if you've been about different environments, it feels like there's been a, it feels like revival. The, the, the R word is almost, it's back, in, it's back in the game. 
and, uh, and I find myself being caught up in the stories of revival. I find myself getting excited when you read of what, what has happened before and what is truly still available right now. And the reality is, is that no matter, no matter where you look, no matter at what stage of history you look, you could go back to the Moravians in the 1700s and you could go right back and make it more personal to where revival came to our, our part of the world. But every time it was because somebody had paid the price. Somebody had, had laid down their lives. Somebody had went beyond the surface and dug deeper. The little old ladies in Kells that had decided we're not going to go beyond, beyond the surface. We're not going to keep this on the surface anymore. It's time to go deeper. It's time to dig a little further. And it's going to cost us. It's going to cost us hugely. It's going to cost us significantly. And I, I remember listening to the, even about the Hebrides revival. The Hebrides revival, it all came because people were willing to pay the price when it came to prayer. And from, from something like early in, the, early in the evening, right through to three o'clock in the morning, they, be, they paid the price. And so for me, there's almost this, this, this frustration that, that everybody, wants to, everybody wants to gather around a big, exciting worship experience. And I love those and I don't want to dismiss them. But actually, I feel like for, for us right now, if we're going to take the R word seriously, there's going to have to be a price to be prayed when it comes to our prayer life. And I feel like that's the invitation today. And, and, uh, and part of me, part of me uh, has sort of been ignoring it. And I'm, like, I'm, I'm really ticked off with David this morning, actually, because it reminded me of, like, God point out everything in me. And it's almost like, Neil, I've already, I've already pointed it out. I already pointed it out to you. There's going, to be, there's going to have to be, if you're going to be serious about going deeper, if you're going to be serious about seeing transformation and renewal, there's going to have to be a cost. That's the same for all of us. It's the same for all of us, I think. We all need to ask the question, what is your prayer life costing you? And uh, some, I'm so far off notes. Let me, so like, like, let me just leave it at that. Can I just pray that, actually, just for a minute? And then I just want to share a few thoughts. Um, from the Christmas story. Father, I thank you for what you have been doing among us individually. I thank you for, for stories of what you're doing in the hearts and lives of people in this room. And God, we're just, we're just wanting to, even afresh, I'm not, I'm not asking you to do this out loud, but I, if you're willing just to make some sort of commitment in this moment, without the, without the music being played in the background, without anything else, just that you would be willing in this moment to make some sort of to make some sort of conscious decision of a sacrifice that you're going to make. And Father, I thank you that you know and hear. You see the level of hunger and thirst in the, in the room this morning. And I just pray that as, as we would be ones that would, that would consciously decide to go deeper, that would consciously decide to, to pay the price, to count the cost when it comes to, how, to our prayer life. We just pray that you would begin to see, begin to get glimpses of, of what it looks like. And Jesus, you are our greatest example. Jesus, you, the sacrifice that you paid, the price that you paid even in your prayer life, that you would move away from the, the buzz, you would move away from the, the excitement and make the trek to the place of solitude, to the place of re-engaging with the Father. And you continued to do that. You continued to pay the price. You continued to count the cost when it came to how you prayed. So Jesus, we, we, we look to you again. Can I just talk for a few minutes about, uh, think a wee bit about the, just the, the birthplace and where Jesus grew up. I've just been struck by the, the, the I've just been struck by Nazareth um, this week. 
think I've been struck by it because, again, this maybe seems really obvious to, to so many of you, but this week, I, as I read through the Gospels, I just get so excited about looking at Jesus. Those three years, those three years of, of seeing blind eyes open, of seeing, uh, seeing the demons set free, see people set free from the demonic, see the lame walk, see the, the deaf hear, see just restoration and reconciliation. And, and those three years, incredible. And sometimes I think we, we forget about the 30 years that Jesus spent in the most ordinary, unimpressive place that was Nazareth. I think those 30 years are, and we don't have a lot to go on. And that's why I'm not going to be too long this morning because I really felt like I wanted to talk about Nazareth. But whenever it comes to, to speaking of Nazareth, a lot of this is, is uh, we cannot be, be, be too sure of, I suppose. But even as we consider Bethlehem, Bethlehem was a, this was a small little village. They reckon there's different, there's different figures. And most, most figures place the amount of people living in this little village between 300 and 1,000 inhabitants. And this is, where, this is where Jesus comes in the flesh. He comes to this little unknown village. And I think part of me has been excited by that because there's times that, that I find myself in environments with people from, um, from Belfast or Dublin or the big cities. They ask, where are you from? And, uh, and I'll say, Rich Hill. And it surprises me, even in Belfast, it surprises me, borderline offends me, that people have not heard of Rich Hill. Can't believe it. And uh, so there's times where, I, I, it depends on the environment I'm in, or, or whether I'm willing to explain where Rich Hill is, I'll say Armagh. But I've been really encouraged, going, reminding myself of, of where Jesus came in the flesh, where Jesus decided to come and, and, uh, and be born. It was in a little village. Of a th- and there's, there's more than a thousand inhabitants in Rich Hill. But in this little unknown village, uh, Jesus came in the flesh, took on flesh and dwelt among us. And it started out in Bethlehem. And um, Let me read Matthew chapter 2. Um, follow along with me. I'll maybe not read the, the whole chapter. But just to re-familiarize yourself with the story, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod. And uh, the wise men came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born in Bethlehem in Judea. They replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people. And then we have this story of the, of the wise men. And in verse 13, they had gone, the, the angel appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child, take Jesus and his mother and escape to Egypt and stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up. He took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. And I, I don't want to be too provocative this morning or too political. But, but again, over the last couple of months, especially what's going on in different parts of the world, just struck by 
how I believe that Jesus identifies so much with the refugee because Jesus himself was a refugee fleeing from terror, fleeing from the threat of death to a different land. And Jesus got up, or Joseph got up, took the child during the night and left for Egypt. And he stayed there until the death of Herod. And that was fulfilled what the Lord had said to the prophet out of Egypt, I called my son. So Herod had realized that he had been outwitted. And uh, down in verse 19, Herod died and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. And so he got up, he took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. And so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. He will be called a Nazarene, Jesus of Nazareth, as he is referred to in John chapter 1. Jesus of Nazareth, he was, that's where he lived. That's where he, and so the, the three, almost the 30 years of, of, his, of his life was spent in this little village. In this village, actually, that was not very well thought of. And a village that had not much to offer. And you can tell, you know, what we do know is that it was a village that was not very well thought of because the response, the response whenever, um, in John chapter 1, just to, so you know where it is, the response whenever Nathaniel was asked uh, about coming to, see, coming to see Jesus of Nazareth, his first response was Nazareth. Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? And Philip's response, I love Philip's response, come and see. Didn't start fighting, didn't start defending or arguing. Nathaniel, come and see. Can anything good come from Nazareth? This village, again, small, not many inhabitants, not well thought of, with very little to offer. And it's where the most of the 30 years of Jesus' life was spent there, in this obscure Middle Eastern village. Jesus spent almost 30 years of his life and I've been struck by it because I, I, I believe, again, we're not told a big pile, but here was where Jesus spent 30 years doing the daily routine of hard work, the daily routine of learning the, the trade from his father, the daily routine of, of growing up and spending time with the neighbors and the people within this little community, this ordinary, obscure unimpressive little community is where Jesus spent his time rubbing shoulders with his neighbors, doing the daily hard work, separated completely from the elite of society. Separated from the elite of society. And Jesus spent his time here. This is where Jesus decided to take on his flesh, to live out, to live out the, his the incarnation. And I've come across recently a, a guy called Carlo Coretta. I've been Reading his book, yeah, like the desert fathers went out into the wilderness longing for an experience of God. And, and he, he writes this, he says, the Holy One of God realized, realized his sanctity not in an extraordinary life, but one that was impregnated with ordinary things, with work, with family, with social life, with obscure human activities, simple things shared by all men. And it's the idea of Nazareth that, is, that has just attracted my attention. Part of me's almost been frustrated because I feel like I, I, that I've 
that I've sort of dabbled in this a wee bit. Oh, like, I want to know more. I want to know more about what took place those 30 years. But I think Nazareth is just is a reminder. It's, it's, a, it's showing us the life of a man. It's showing us the life of a family fully engaged in human activity. And one of the verses that we shared right, right at the beginning uh, was 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11 to 12 says that make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own, own business, to work with your hands so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. And, and so I know that I, I read these verses out um, right back at the beginning, but I felt like for me that they took on new meaning when I thought of, of the 30 years that Jesus spent in this little obscure, unknown, unimpressive village called Nazareth. And maybe Paul had some sort of insight. Maybe Paul knew the, the story of Jesus because this is, in some ways, it feels like this is the, what Jesus did for those first 30 years of his life. He made it his ambition to lead a quiet life and, and to work with his hands and that his daily life would win the respect of those that he, was, that he was living with. And as I think about Nazareth, as I continue to think about Nazareth, I feel like it reminds me that, that we do not need to rely. Now, like tools and resources and money and all of that are important. There's times that we need that to get the job done, but we do not need to rely on them. And I think Nazareth reminds me that we do not need to rely on the tools and the resources and the money to carry the good news of the kingdom. Because I think Jesus did that for the first 30 years of his life. I don't think Jesus waited until he was 30 and then began to, 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 to bring the good news to people, began to show love and kindness and mercy and compassion. I don't think he waited till he was, till he was 30 to do that. But I think he spent his time carrying the good news of the kingdom with those that he rubbed shoulders with in this little obscure village, unimpressive, ordinary place. And Nazareth reminds me that we don't need to rely on the, the, the glitz and the glam and all of that. We don't need to rely on all the, all the money and all the things that people tell us that we need for success. I think Nazareth reminds us that we don't need all of that to carry the good news of the kingdom. And so Jesus became flesh. And I, I love that that is the story of Christmas more than anything. He became flesh. And he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And 2,000 years later, that has not changed with us. He became flesh and he lived living among people. He embodied, the gospel. he embodied the gospel message. And again, I think that's what Nazareth reminds me. That's what Nazareth teaches me. That Jesus embodied the gospel message in its entirety. And so what he did was that Jesus lived it before he spoke it. And so we have the most, that the Sermon on the Mount is the most incredible politic it's the most incredible sermon it's the most incredible way of life that we have that we have that has ever been given and Jesus has preached some incredible messages he has spoke some incredible words of healing and deliverance but I think what Nazareth teaches me what Nazareth reveals to me is that Jesus lived it all out before he even began to speak it I think what Nazareth reminds me of is that he preached it by his life before he even began to explain it by his word and I hope that you can I hope that you can go with me here because I know some of this maybe feels subjective because I don't have a I don't have a a chapter and verse to take you to. But I but I sense that that that's what was going on. I sense that Jesus was showing that the, that Nazareth is shows us that he lived it before he spoke it. 
And part of me today is, is challenged by, by this idea as we consider uh, showing up as, as best as we can, as best as we know how in the living room, in the heart of our community. And part of me, is, part of me thinks to myself, and this is almost going to sound stupid because I'm standing here giving a sermon, but people no longer want to hear sermons. They want to see the gospel in action. And saying all of that, I'm still going to be preaching next Sunday morning. <laughs> but, uh, no, I'm not aiming it. People don't want to hear, people don't want to hear a sermon. They, they want to know what it is to be, they want to know what it is to be, to be shown kindness. They want, to know, they want to experience, they want to tangibly experience mercy and kindness. And as much as I want my, as much as I want my sermons, as much as I want my words to be able to deliver that, I'm aware that it has to be done in action. People are wanting to see the, the good news of the kingdom in action. Uh, these verses should be ingrained in my mind. I grew up with them near my whole life. But this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, how can the love of God be in him? And again, that's what, I think that's what Jesus lived out. I think that's what Jesus lived out in Nazareth. The people were in need. They were in need of mercy. They were in need of love. They were this, they were this, they were this community of people that, that were dismissed. They were this community of people that were, that were looked down upon, that those on the outside would have said there's nothing good can come from this little place. And so these people were a people that needed to experience mercy, that needed to experience a different word being spoken over them. And Jesus did that for 30 years. And he did it by how he loved them. He did it by how he lived among them. I am convinced of, of that. And so people want to see the gospel in action. And it takes us back to last Sunday to those four things. The gospel in action, I think, uh, last Sunday lends itself to that when we talk about worshiping fully, spending less, giving more, and loving all. And so I, I'm grateful for the gifts that are in the room. I'm grateful for the abilities that, that people have. But in some ways, he's not exclusively after your impressive gifts or your polished performance or, or the routine boxes that you've ticked off. The question I feel like I'm being asked is, how is my ordinary everyday life, how does that look to those that are looking in? How does my ordinary everyday life look to those who are looking in? And as I come towards, if, as we come towards the end of a year, you know, many of us will take stock. Many of us will consider what we've done, what we've achieved, how we've performed, what we've, what we've done, where we've been, how we've followed through our Bible reading plans, all of that sort of thing. But I'm... I feel like I'm asking so many different questions as I take stock this year. The people that, my neighbors, would my neighbors look on at me and say, based on what's happened this year, am I, am I more patient? Am I more compassionate with them than I was last year? Uh, am I more generous with people, with my words, and with my deeds than I was this time last year? And so that's what I'm asking. That's what I'm asking as I take stock of this year and, and, and so much of what, I feel like I'm picking up from Nazareth is fueling these questions. How's my ordinary everyday life looking like to those who are looking on? And as you spend time with, with neighbors and family and friends this week or this season, I think those are really important questions to ask. So Father, I thank you for uh, 
Um, I thank you for these people. I thank you for the gifts and the talents and the abilities that are in this room. I thank you for the level of compassion and the level of um, kindness that there is in this room. And God, we just want to keep on asking ourselves the question of who, who are we becoming? What is What are we reflecting? What are we showing to those that we rub shoulders with in our everyday lives? And so Jesus, we thank you for your example. We thank you for your birth. We thank you that you came and you dwelt among us. Thank you that because of this season, we are continually reminded that you are with us, that you're with us. And we want to make you visible. We want to, everything that we do and say, we want it uh, to be done in a way that makes Jesus visible, that makes him present in the lives of people that need to experience the presence of Jesus. So we thank you for, thank you for today. Thank you for your, for all that you are, for all that you're doing, for all that you're longing to do. And we would be, would we be ones that would be willing to ask the question, what, what price are we paying? What price are we willing to pay? What cost, what good cost are we willing to pay in our prayer life, in our times of worship, in our relationships with one another? Help us, Holy Spirit. Help us, we need you. Amen.